says, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. When Elizabeth's pregnancy was full term, she gave birth to a son. All her family, friends, and neighbors heard about it. And they too were overjoyed, for they realized that the Lord had shown such wonderful mercy upon her. When the baby was eight days old, according to their custom, all the family and friends came together for the circumcision ceremony. Everyone was convinced that the parents would name the baby Zachariah after his father. But Elizabeth spoke up and said, No, he has to be named John. What? They exclaimed. No one in your family line has that name. So they gestured to the baby's father to ask what the name what to name the child. After motioning for a writing tablet, in amazement of all, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and his first words were praises to the Lord. The fear of God then fell on the people of their village, and the news of this astounding event traveled throughout the hill country of Judea. Everyone was in awe over it. All who heard this news were astonished and wondered, if a miracle brought his birth, what on earth will this child become? Clearly, God's presence is upon this child in a powerful way. Then Zechariah was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Praise be to the exalted Lord God of Israel, for he has seen us through eyes of grace. And he comes as our hero God to set us free. He appoints, he, he appears to us, as a mighty savior, a trumpet of, re of redemption from the house of David, his servant. Just as he promised long ago by the words of his holy prophets, they prophesied he would come one day and save us from every one of our enemies and from the power of those who hate us. Now he has shown us the mercy promised to our ancestors, for he has remembered his holy covenant. He has rescued us from the power of our enemies this fulfills the sacred oath he made with our father Abraham. Now we can boldly worship with holy lives, living in purity as priests in his presence every day. And to you I prophesy, my little son, you will be known as the prophet of the glorious God, for you will be a forerunner going before the face of the master Yahweh to prepare hearts to embrace his ways. You will preach to his people the revelation of salvation life the cancellation of all our sins, to bring us back to God. The splendor light of heaven's glorious sunrise is about to break upon us in a holy visitation, all because the merciful heart of our God is so very tender. The word from heaven will come to us with dazzling light to shine upon those who live in darkness, death's dark shadow, and he will illuminate the path that leads to the way of peace. Afterward, their son grew up and was strengthened by the Holy Spirit, and he grew in his love for God. John chose to live in the, in the lonely wilderness until the day came when he was to be displayed publicly to Israel. So Amberlynn's uh, prescription is going out, and she can realize this because she hasn't had an appointment in many, many, many years. Um, and uh, her, her, her contacts are, are going out. So she, so she needs um, to go into the doctor again to kind of get it recalibrated, to go in and, and see, okay, how has it changed? Has it gotten worse? Has it gotten a little better? You never know. Probably worse. But uh, 
But uh, and so every so going to to the eye doctor, the optometrist, because she needs to get her eyesight refocused so that she can see clearly. So her eyes aren't working as much. It doesn't give her headaches. It doesn't do things to her eyes. Plus, she's also on her last disposable pair of contacts. But <laughs> and so getting that done before she gets her permanent you know, pair. Um, but it's all about recalibrating vision. All about recalibrating our focus. We need focus as individuals in our lives and in our faith. Every year, every season, every season of our lives is different. We live through a different perspective where we're at. Whether we're downstairs and kids, you know, being a kid. Remember your days, the, the days being a kid, or did you block it out? <laughs> you got like preteen, and then teenager, and then young adult. And each of these seasons has its own challenges. Growing up. And then you get into your 20s and 30s. You may get married and start having kids. And they turn into younger, you know, older kids. And then when you're in your 40s and 50s, they turn into teenagers. And then they graduate, and now you're empty nesters. Each season of life has its own challenges, its own set of needs to refocus. So wherever you're at in your life, maybe that's you. You're sitting there saying, okay, life is recalibrating. Kids, you know, kids are a part of the picture. They're growing up. Some of them are, are leaving the house. So what does my life look like now? What does my life look like, look like today and tomorrow? Not just what, what has it looked like. What are the new tools? Because remember, where, how do we focus? How do we focus our lives? You remember from this past, uh, past season? How do you focus? Prayer. Prayer is focus. It's going into the next season with God's word as the, on the forefront. What happens when we focus on God in, in whatever season we're in? We see him as he truly is. When, we're so, when we stop focusing on, on the world around us and on the situations and the circumstances going on around us in politics and, and you know, health and economics, when we take our focus off of the world, we put it onto God, we see God for who he truly is. Because oftentimes he can get lost. He can get lost in all the rest. And we start to see God through the lens of their culture. We start to see God and our relationship with him through the lens of our circumstances versus seeing God, seeing our, our circumstances and the world around us through the lens of God. And we see ourselves as he truly sees us, who we truly are. And there's a question. How does God see us? Ask yourself that question. We'll take, give you a moment. Ask yourself that question. God, ask, ask God that question. Don't just ask yourself, ask yourself. Ask God, how do you see me? Ask yourself, God, how, how does God see me? What is his face when he looks at you? Because so many things want to taint that picture. So many things want to guide that picture of God's face in our mind. So many things want to distract us and suck our attention away. And the big one, social media. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, it literally exists to get you addicted to the, to the screen. 
It, everything about it is, is, is meant to suck you in and keep you in for hours. Algorithms and videos and posts and what you see first and how you see it and when you're scrolling, what you see next. And everything is, is an algorithm that's calculated for you. Because like I said, you know, like the video said, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And so being wise about that, but understanding that it wants to suck your attention away. Your news outlets, TV, movies, your hobbies, adventure, video games, even good things like the adventures and books. Even good things have a ten, you know, can suck our attention away from our understanding of God. So how do you fight to flourish in the midst of destructive distractions? Fix your eyes on home base. What I'm going to define is home base. I'll, I'll probably be coming back to that word, this phrase, a few times during, during the sermon. Home base is the Lord, is yourself, self-care, self-understanding, self-awareness. It's super beneficial to understand and have a, have a keen self-awareness. Um, check out, there's a, a book called The Road Back to You. We've been talking through uh, about the Enneagram. It's a great tool. I really recommend that you guys pick up the book or just simply go and study the Enneagram. It is a phenomenal tool for self-understanding, but specifically the book, The Road Back to You. Um, personality, anyway. So your family, your church, and that also, and then you know, family also includes your church family, extended family, your immediate family, extended family, but also your community. Your, your what, what the scripture calls your oikos. Uh, those those eight, you know, eight to fifteen people that you spend time around often. You know, it could be friends, it could be family, it could be coworkers, it could be just the people in your sphere, in your in your realm that you talk to on at least a weekly basis or so. That's who we're talking about, your community. And even Belgrade overall, being involved in your city. Uh, so fix your focus on home base because when you see through the eyes of grace. It keeps you focused on your home base. Zechariah did this. This is the, the point for, of Zechariah here this morning. Through this entire passage, so we're going to kind of look over that entire passage this morning. Oh, there's that slide. I was looking for that <laughs> slide earlier. Um, so Zechariah, number one. How do we see this in, in, in Zechariah's life? He didn't divorce Elizabeth. In this culture, you know, sending your spouse away with a certificate of divorce was easy and often done. Burn the bread, ah, you're out. Nah, you talk back to me, you're out. Don't please me, ah, you're out. He didn't divorce Elizabeth. He was devote, devoted to her. As we talked about last week, or a couple weeks ago, that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth were devoted, devoted to one another, devoted to the Lord. They were known for being devoted to the Lord. And because they were devoted to the Lord, they were devoted to each other. They understood their, their place in their marriage, to love and serve one another, no matter what. Because the biggest part of this that was difficult was, like we talked about, the barren woman. Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have kids. And in that society, that was where the heir came from. And so if she didn't have an heir, then Zachariah's line would be gone. 
And so that's oftentimes why you know, men would, would divorce their wives because they wouldn't produce an heir, couldn't produce an heir. But these were both kids of priests. This is a priesthood devoted to the Lord. That's who they were known to be. And, and though she was, you know, she was, she was uh, known for being barren, and that was a shame upon her because every day, think about that, every day for years, seeing the people around, seeing the, the, the young moms having kids and the, the yearning to have the, the giggles of those laughter, the pitter-patter of little feet, little Elizabeths and Zacharias running around the house that she believed that it would never happen. But Zechariah stayed faithful. He was devoted to her. He didn't get angry and curse God. Through both of this stuff, through her barrenness and through her, you know, through his silence. Of course, he couldn't curse God because he couldn't talk. <laughs> but he didn't curse God. He wasn't frustrated by his circumstances and blaming God. Like, you did this to me, God. It's all your fault. Your angel came down and did this, and that's not fair. So you know, guess what? You know, I'm done with you. Get out, of my, get out of my life. He was his circumstances didn't govern his everyday beliefs. He contemplated all these things in his heart. And throughout this, he was actually filled with the Holy Spirit and wrote a song, wrote a prophecy. Because he was faithful to listen and obey. Just think about that. For nine months or more, depending on how long, how long it took for, for Elizabeth to conceive, he was mute and deaf. The only thing, only person, the only voice that he could listen to was his own and God's. But he was faithful to listen and obey. And he rejoiced with his home base. When, he, when his hearing and, and voice was restored, what, did, what was the first thing he did? He praised the Lord. He praised the Lord and he rejoiced with all the people that came over to hang out. As I said, right here, like in, in verse, uh, verse 58, all her friends, family, and neighbors heard about it. And they too were overjoyed, for they realized that the Lord had shown, uh, had showered much wonderful mercy upon her. And they, astonished, they were astonished. All who heard this news were astonished and wondered, ah, if a miracle brought this, this, his birth, what on earth will this child become? Clearly God's presence is upon this child in a powerful way. Way. So they went from disgraced and, and disgraced in the, in the sense that she was barren. That was her reputation. She was, oh yeah, Elizabeth, the old, the old uh, childless, you know, barren woman. To now, oh, that's the that's the mom of John. That's the mother of that boy that we that all of us were stirring about. I can even see her. You know, she you know probably waited because they even said like they you know all of her friends, family, and neighbors heard about it. She could have you know, concealed it completely from them, from the entire neighborhood, because maybe she had not been able to conceive at all, or maybe it had started and then it didn't, didn't take miscarriages in the early stages or something. She couldn't conceive. And so maybe she was a little more gun-shy about telling everyone. And lastly, he raised John 
in a spirit-filled home. As you notice, his prophecy uh, toward the end, we'll get to in, in a bit, in a bit um, he, he starts talking about a blessing to his son. Half of this prophecy is, is to John, but not just to John. You can also read yourself into that passage as well. But this is, this is a beautiful picture because who got the Holy Spirit first? Elizabeth. She was filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary came and, and, and greeted her. And John leaped in her belly. He was second, even before Zechariah. And then he, he, he obeyed, right? He, there's that you know, faithful to listen and obey. So he obeyed, named the child John. His ears were open and his mouth, his tongue was loosed. And he spoke the, present, you know, the, the praises of God. And he was filled, it said, then Zechariah was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have Elizabeth and Zechariah and, and John and Mary and Jesus. The Holy Spirit's like, and you get the Holy Spirit, 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 and you get the Holy Spirit. God's trying to, you know, starting to be pretty generous with giving the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of Jesus' life, of course, he breathes on his disciples, and, and then the outpouring at Pentecost, and just the Holy Spirit goes nuts. And we are living in that Holy Spirit today. Zach, um, Zach, Zachariah's deaf and muteness is a powerful sign of God, God's power. Not of medical diagnosis. And this adds an element of astonishment for the friends, family, and, and neighbors as they, as well as the prophetic power for the skeptic. Maybe some of their neighbors were like, yeah, God's abandoned these lands. It's been 400 years since he, since he talked. Maybe he's just kind of abandoned us. Or maybe the stories aren't true. And all of a sudden, boom, they get to experience something powerful by the presence of the Holy Spirit. His muteness and deafness was a powerful tool of God because when we silence our surroundings, we can hear the voice of God more clearly. Maybe you need a retreat. Ask yourself that. Do you need a retreat? I think all of us would say that, you know, all of, us, all of us would say that yes is always a good answer to that question. I'm always down for a retreat. I'm always down to go out into the woods. We got a summer, we got a, we got a camp, campground. We should, we should take use of it, make use of it as a church. That's right. Zachariah's season was one of perpetual thought and contemplation. Imagine in your life. We talked about a sermon back in September about you know, the simplicity. Simplicity. What it, you know, faith, having a faith uh, for if the lights go out. If, all, if like the power grid's shut down, you know, the hack this week, you know, the, you know, the hack by the, by the Russians or the Chinese or whatever it is, uh, you guys have been hearing about it. It's like solar winds got hacked uh, by you know, foreign government. And for months, like since March, has been all over our country in, in the digital system, specifically the U.S. Department of Energy. So what if they get into our, you know, they, they trigger something in a few months, and all of a sudden, lights are gone. Can't charge your phone. There's no internet. You know, the TVs go out. The media is gone. Your phone is, is a brick. What happens? What do you, what do you think would, would fill your mind what would you think about? 
If you couldn't you know, pull up your phone. If we didn't have this, this technology to be able to stream live to the internet, what would you think about? Good answer. Jesus. Good Sunday school. Woo! But what would you think about? It would almost force you back into that solace of hearing the voice of God. That same Spirit, that same powerful Holy Spirit that did this with Zechariah is the same Spirit that is in you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've given your life to Him and been baptized, you have God's Holy Spirit that did this to Zechariah, that filled Elizabeth's womb, that empowered John, and that drove Jesus and empowered Jesus' ministry. And Jesus' ministry is living and active today through us, through God's Holy Spirit. It empowers you to be and to do all these things and more. Jesus even said, you'll do infinitely more than, than this. You're impressed by this? You're going to do more than this. Exceedingly greater things than this. He empowers our different stories with purpose. Think about your life. Where have you seen God at work? Where have you seen God, the Holy Spirit work on a daily basis? Your story. If you were to tell your story, the group of people gathered together, and you were telling, they're like, hey, tell us your story. Well, I was born in Southern California, and I don't usually have been to that in Montana. That doesn't usually go well. Oh, you're one of those Californians. Then I went to Texas, and I got healed a little bit. And then I moved to Wyoming, then Idaho, got the, the Midwest, you know, the, the, the Northwest into me, got the Southern California out of me. But what is your story? How did God save you? Your story is beautiful. No matter if it's riddled with pain. Because it shows of God's grace in the midst of your pain. God's grace in the midst of your grief. God's protection in the midst of your joy. Maybe you had a wonderful upbringing. I, that's, I would place myself in that category. I, th I feel like I had a wonderful upbringing with my family. And so God's grace in my life was specifically that he delivered me from all of that, from having to learn all the, the hard lessons, the hard way, and having the scars to prove it. Would this account be as powerful if it was some young girl with a husband giving birth to a, to a son? No. This story is powerful because of who it happened to. Someone for her life had been in grief. And finally, God showed that grace to her and put her on display. Put John, her son, on display in order to put... Jesus on display. There's a lot of praising God and much joy brought to Zachariah's and Elizabeth's house, to their home base. 
A lot of joy. So as you can see, it's both for God's glory and pointing to Jesus and also for them. It's also for their joy. And so in our lives, I, I never want us to believe, you know, think that you know, God's purpose is just for his glory only and you don't get to enjoy it all. It's like, oh, I just got to gotta glorify God. I got to work for God. I got to do this for God. Working for God is a joy because of the things that we get to do for him, but specifically the things we get to do with him. This was a joy for Elizabeth and Zechariah. Joy filled their house. The pitter-patter of little Zechariah, John, filled the house. And then he wrote a song. He wrote a prophecy. Um, what do you say? For he has, look at, look at uh, verse, uh, verse 68. Praise be to the exalted Lord God of Israel, for he has seen us through eyes of grace, and he comes as our hero God to set us free. This hero God. Basically, it's this description that's often translated as, as a deliverer, you know, is this visited or divine, this divine grace. Talk, always talks about, you know, whenever you're visited by God. It's like it's this divine visit. It's, it's like... Um, I guess right now, just you know, simply the president. You get a phone call, and they're like, "Hey, uh, the president has heard about your cooking and your cool crafts, uh, and he wants to come over and, and hang out with you tonight around your table and play some games and hang, and hang out and talk with you." That's what they're talking about—like a visit from God. God has visited His people through the birth of John. The events that would bring about the great insurrection of God's church have begun. It says in Malachi, but for you who fear his name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. Joy, there's joy there. This is why God came. This is why Jesus came. So listen to that. That voice. This this verse is a beautiful setup to the rest of, of this this uh, this um, prophecy here. He comes as a hero of God to set us free. Uh, they said in Zechariah filled the Holy, yeah, Holy Spirit. He appears to us as a mighty savior, a trumpet of redemption. It reminds me of of, of uh, movies like The Lord of the Rings. There's there's a scene I was tempted to show, but I was like, man. Five minutes for something that's just an aside. Horn. Oftentimes this is translated as the horn of salvation. And the, the, all these movies of antiquity, back when they were fighting in, in primitive ways, they always had a horn. Specifically that you knew the sound of, so you knew what you know, nation was coming. Like one time, you know, the, the battle for Helm's Deep in uh, the two towers of, of Lord of the Rings. They're hanging out there. The, the, all these men are, are just in this, this castle, this, this stronghold. But they're outnumbered. They're most likely going to die. And all of a sudden, they hear this horn. They're like, And then Legolas, the elf, was like, I know that horn. He recognizes that's the elf's horn. And this giant troop of elves come rolling in, advanced by the sound of their horn. And to them, it was the sound of there's 
hope. We hear this sound, and we know that reinforcements are here. And then toward the end of that battle, they're, they're being pushed back into, into the, the caverns, and the orcs are about to break down the door. And there, as a moment of triumph, a moment of, a, let's, let's do this, let's rally ourselves together for death and victory, or for death or victory, we will fight. Yo, I'm proud to live and die next to you. This is where heroes are born. And heroes were born that day in fiction. <clears throat> and and uh, Gimli goes and he sounds the hammerhead, the horn of hammerhead. This is you know, this thing, a big horn with a big old like loop-de-loop and the, these giant horns that go down this tower. And it, it shakes. If you got the right sound system, it'll shake you to the bones. It, it shook the whole cave. It shook every person to the core, every orc, they stopped what they were doing and they blazed out in hope. And then another horn sounded up on the hilltop and that was the rest of Rohan coming in to deliver them. Horns for them are a sound of reinforcement, a sound of victory, a sound of joy. We're going to win. We got a better chance of winning. Our friends have arrived. So that is what he's talking about here. He appears to us as a mighty savior, a trumpet, a horn of redemption from the house of David, his servant. Just as he promised long ago by the words of his holy prophets, he saved them. He saved them from the adversary. This is Psalm 106. This is what he's talking about. He said uh, words of his holy prophets. This is David saying, he saved them from the power of the adversary. He redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Which goes into this passage here. They prophesied he would come one day and save us from every one of our enemies and from the power of those who hate us. Now he has shown, shown us the grace promised to our ancestors, for he has remembered his holy name. Now it's in, a little bit of interesting poetry right here actually. So this, this phrase, now he has shown us the grace promised to our ancestors, for he remembered his holy covenant. This is actually all three names right here. This is Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John. Because Elizabeth's name means God keeps his covenant. Zechariah's name means God remembers. And John's name means God is or has been gracious. So you can see how he is using this beautiful poetry to sing his song of his family. Men, if you were to write a song, or men and women, husbands and wives, if you were to write a song about your family, what would it sound like? What would the words be that you would sing about your family? Now he has shown us the grace promised to our ancestors. He has remembered his holy covenant. He has rescued us from the power of our enemies. This fulfills the sacred oath he made with our father, Abraham. Now we can boldly worship God with holy lives, living in purity as priests in his presence every day. And to you, I prophesy. Here's where it switches. Here's the flip. It's where he starts prophesying to John, singing a song now over his son. Parents, did you speak words over your children when they were born? a blessing over them, a prayer for them when they were born. This is what Zachariah is doing. 
And to you I prophesy, my little son, you will be known as the prophet of the glorious God. For you will be a forerunner going before the face of the master Yahweh. For you will be a forerunner to prepare hearts to embrace his ways. You will preach to his people the revelation of salvation life, the cancellation of all our sins to bring us back to God. The splendor of heaven's glorious sunrise is about to break upon us in holy visitation, all because the merciful heart of our God is so very tender. The word from heaven will come to us with dazzling light to shine upon those who live in darkness, near death's dark shadow. And he will illuminate the path that leads to the way of peace. And afterward, their son grew up and was strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And he grew in his love for God. John chose to live in the lonely wilderness until the day came when he was to be displayed publicly to Israel. So John, this is actually is known, uh, they believe that John actually ended up in the, in the town of, or in the, I guess in the settlement of Qumran that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls next to the Dead Sea. And this, this was what a group of people called the Essenes during that time. So you had the Sadducees, the, Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Zealots, the, the, you know, the, you know, the religious uh, nationalistic Zealots, and then you had these Essenes. These were the super devout, uh, they lived in basically one area in Qumran, writing scripture, going in and bathing themselves before they even, even touched the word of God. And they were, it was a very strict, strict practice. And this is where they believe that, you know, the potential that John may have gotten his, his practice of baptism, why he's known as John the Dunker, because he came, you, you know, bringing a practice that he lived for probably decades. I mean, because he was a little older than Jesus. Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. And John was a little bit older. So he was about maybe, you know, late 20s, early 30s when he started his ministry. And so for a couple decades, probably, he was studying in Qumran until he was presented, like he says, publicly to Israel. Because it's all about the way for him. It was the, the way in which he was brought up, the way in which he was living, setting the groundwork for the one who would bring the way, the truth, and the life. Not just bring it, but be it. Jesus would be the way, the truth, and the life. And that is the Jesus that we walk in today. So what does this gospel life look like? If you were to, you know, from, from beginning to end, the story of your salvation is, you know, God comes to us. God saves us and sets us free from oppression, from sin, uh, death, delivering us from sin and the power of the grave by forgiving all of our sins. As I said, you know, the cancellation of all our sins to bring us back to God, revelation of his salvation life, shining light, hope into our darkness and guiding us into lives of peace, shalom, the way. That's why the early church, they, that's what they called themselves. They called themselves followers of the way. They didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way because they believe that Jesus came to show us the way, the gospel life, the gospel way, the gospel truth through his life. And so what do we do? What do we do with this? How do we respond to this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John. We need to see through the eyes of grace as God does. 
as God sees through the eyes of grace. Now, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, first, we've got to spend time with God. If you're not spending time with God, you've got to spend time with God. Be in his presence. Be in what? Silence. Retreat into your closet, into your bedroom, into wherever. Retreat to your to a cabin out in the woods. I don't, I don't, wherever it is, retreat and go with him. Spend time with God in his word, in prayer, just sitting. Don't even have to say anything. Don't even ask for anything. Just say, God, I want you. God, show me your presence. I want to be in your presence. And just sit and listen. Spend quality time with your family. Spend time, quality time with your faith family your faith community, and then invest your quality time and energy into blessing the community, Belgrade. Invest your time and energy. So what does it look like to see Belgrade through the eyes of grace? Uh, Remember, God's grace doesn't view people based simply upon how they were or what they did or what they've done in the past doesn't, doesn't judge you on that. He doesn't look at you and see that and define you by it. He sees you by who you could be, who God wants to create you and, and to form you and cultivate you into being. Discover as you walk with him, as you spend time with him. Transform your life. So when we look at other people, remember, that's the same way that God looks at you. So don't look at at other people and say, you are what you've done. You are what you did. You are who you are. You are what you are. See other people through the eyes of grace, through the eyes of redemption, using broken stories to bring much glory. Just like your life does. Just like your life did. See other people who are, maybe you might define them as the worst kind of person. That's great. God loves taking those people and making them into awesome people who love him and are walking, walking according to his purposes and walking in joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and, so, and gentleness and self-control. God loves taking these people and whoop, transforming them into godly people. It's never too late for anyone. God doesn't see people in the present based on the past, but upon the future. What's possible? So say for instance, you know, say for instance, we'll, we'll just you know, name a fictitious you know, lady, Stacy. Stacy has been hurt by the local church organization, uh, feels or has felt condemned, you know, not good enough. Um, for God by not feeling welcome in the church. What if Stacy came here on a Sunday morning? Hurt. Her guard up. Is this legit? Like, is this church actually actually authentic? Or maybe they're, she's watching online right now. She could be. You don't know. Maybe because they, they love God already, but they've been hurt by the church. Or maybe they're open to hear about God. Maybe they've walked away from God or doesn't, you've never had an, a faith experience with God. And they're open. They're wanting to hear about God and believe the gospel of Jesus and his love. But they're waiting. Waiting to see if this church was going to walk in grace. 
or if it will be just like every other church and she'll leave burned and hurt again. You know, we don't, we don't look at the church to save us. You know, we, we don't try to save people that are coming through the door out of our own strength and out of our own, own volition. We do look to the church. We look, we go to, you know, we look to the church that we go to to give us a perspective, an experience of the gospel that is true and life-giving. That's why we go to the church, because that's what the scripture says the church is supposed to be all about. An experience of Christ that is true and life-giving, not life-sucking and condemning. The community around us paints a picture in our spirits of the relationship of the Trinity. That's why we do relationships, because we want to experience that beauty of relationship that God has with himself, and he created us to have one with another. That is the beauty of church relationships. God cultivates this perspective in us when we follow him, when we focus on him and and focus our identity in him and what he said about us. Not the latest trends, not the latest book, not the pressures of doing certain, certain Instagram reel videos or posts, or social media expectations. Who are you in him? All of this comes from having a healthy focus on your home base. God, your identity in him. Family, your family your, your family of faith. Shift Church, and our Belgrade community. Because when you see through the eyes of grace, it keeps you focused laser-focused on your home base. What does God want to do in you? And what does God want to do through you as you spend time with him? God, we thank you for your presence among us. We thank you that you desire to give us your perspective, your worldview, the way that you see your creation and how you want to bring it back to shalom by seeing the the, the promised giving of John, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. As the Lord this morning, I pray for that focus. I pray, God, uh, for the eyes of grace to be experienced and opened here this morning as we rest in you. And send us, Lord Jesus, to see your vision, to see your heart, to see the way that you want to cultivate our home base. Because if we are open to you, God, and, and the way that you want to lead us, God, I think this could be an incredible next season. And the next one could be an even more incredible season for each one of our lives if we keep our eyes focused on you, God, and focused on your people, focused on those who you love. As we cultivate this, this community of joy within our families, within our church and within our community. Be with Lord, be with us, Lord Jesus, as we go. And as we reflect, God, stir within our spirits your heart for us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.